Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Charlotte Knights, and I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening today. Today I'm going to be talking about the Giants, whose backups were very gritty in a 22-16 loss to the Eagles on Sunday, and Rutgers splits a pair of games after beating number one Purdue. So let's go ahead and get started with the Giants. So when does a loss feel like a win? When you're the Giants, I guess, a team that always, and I mean always, friggin' loses to the goddamn Eagles. And then you play your second and third string players on the road in Philly, and you play really, really well, and you scare the hell out of the number one seed Eagles and almost beat them in their stadium with your backups and your third string players. That is when... A loss feels like a win. And that's how it felt for the Giants on Sunday, who lost on the road 22-16 to the Eagles in a game that was a lot closer than it had any right to be. I think I can't remember a game where I enjoyed watching so much (laughs) Giants in a game that they actually lost, especially with, with the Eagles and making their fans squirm and making them squirm. They had to win to get the number one seed and watching them play the Giants backups and third string players and really having a tough time of it was shocking and really felt good. I mean, it was um, nice to see. And I mean, just for example, right, uh, three weeks ago at home, With the Giants starters playing, for example, the Giants got blown out of their own building in New Jersey, 48 to 22, right? And the Giants, in this case, rested their starters since the game meant absolutely nothing for the Giants for the playoff standings. The Giants were the sixth seed and there was nothing they could do to move up or down. So no matter what happened in this game, they were going to enter the playoffs next week as the sixth seed. So it meant nothing and they rested all their players Three weeks ago, they started their starters, of course, and got blown out of the building 48-22. On Sunday, they rested everyone, played their second and third stringers in a game that the Eagles absolutely had to win. And the Giants lost 22-16 and had a lot of encouraging signs from some backups. Um, The game really meant nothing. Davis Webb started, who is, by the way, QB3 on the Giants. He's not even their backup quarterback. He's their third string quarterback practice squad quarterback. <laughs> so, so the Giants played their practice squad quarterback against the Eagles and still came within six points. One more touchdown and we could have won. And we had an onside kick at the end of the game. And had we recovered it, there was a minute left or something where we could have, you know, made it super interesting. Um, so Davis Webb started and, and, you know, he did okay. He had a nice touchdown pass. Kenny Galladay, actually caught a TD pass too, and a nice one, a one-handed grab. His first and only touchdown pass of the year, and hopefully his last one for the Giants. The Giants had to do something to get rid of him. He's been the ultimate disaster, and we have to make room for some actual receivers next year. But it was nice to see him actually do something, and the guys on the sideline were encouraging to him, and he, he looked happy. I mean, you never know what we're going to need in the playoffs, and maybe he'll be needed for you know a big play or a big catch coming up this weekend. Um, and just to see him get finish the season on a positive note was a good thing. Um, it is amazing that Dable, 
who was awesome. Our, our head coach, Dable, is awesome. He managed to squeeze some kind of hope and good feeling in a game where we played our second and third stringers against what is the best team in the NFC. In a meaningless game, we actually managed to gain some momentum, and that seems that seemed almost impossible going into this game. But but Dable managed to do it, and I don't know how it happened. Um, and and Mark and, and Wink Martingale as well, the, the Giants' uh, defensive coordinator also did just a tremendous job this time. Obviously the last time when we played the Eagles and it mattered for us, we lost 48-22, right? So there's still a great concern if we ever have to play the Eagles in the playoffs. Um, And I'm not holding out any hope for that kind of game. But for one game, it was nice to really see, you know, our backups do well and the Eagles squirm. The Giants, it turns out, will be playing the Vikings. This weekend in the uh, wild card or division round, whatever you want to call it, the first round game, <clears throat> it's will be at Minnesota, where we lost a couple weeks ago in a very close, hard-fought game on a 61-yard walk-off field goal to the Vikings in that same stadium against this same team. So the Giants certainly are capable of holding their own against the Minnesota Vikings, who they'll play at 4.30 on Sunday. It should be a game where I hope Daniel Jones continues to have um, as good a game as he's had the last month or so, meaning that he holds on to the ball, no interceptions, no fumbles, um, and continues to make good decisions because that will be the key to this game. If the Giants can hold that insane receiver and Minnesota's offense to a manageable amount and Jones can actually make some good decisions and hold on to the ball, I think the Giants have a chance. Minnesota will be favored, as they should be, but... Of all the matchups the Giants could have had <clears throat> going into the playoffs, I think this one is actually the best. Even though Minnesota's 13-4, and four, and the Giants will be playing them on the road, and the Giants have already lost to this team. All that being said, I think the Giants can and actually might win this game, shockingly. Um, I would not be surprised if they actually won this game. I also would not be surprised if they don't. Um, there, there's a lot of sort of momentum saying the Giants are the you know, surprise pick and nobody wants to play them. It might be true, um, but again, this is a very, very, very inexperienced team. Um, it is a team that is one year removed from being just an absolute dumpster fire. Now, this year's team is not that, but let's face it, this is not exactly a 15-2 and two team here, right? The Giants are 9-7-1, and one, and they finished the year that way, um, and, and they've done a remarkable turnaround from last year, just a remarkable turnaround, but again... Um, we're building, right? And this there's a lot of places where the Giants need help. The Giants have no wide receivers, as you'll remember, right? The Giants have no linebackers, in my opinion. The Giants' secondary has been questionable and banged up and has had all kinds of trouble against a team with maybe the best receiver in football on Sunday. Um, so there's plenty of weaknesses. The Giants' offensive line is hit and miss. Lots of questions. Uh, Neil at right tackle continues to be up and down. He had a lot of penalties against the Eagles. Um, it, it's it's something where we need to you know continue to build. And certainly there is a risk of people looking at this game and the Giants and getting ahead of themselves. And it's important that Giant fans know that this year is successful, regardless of what happens on Sunday. We'll see. Win or lose, though, this has been a very, very successful year. Now, I'm hoping they don't lose 48-6 to 6 on, on Sunday because I would take 
much of the steam out of this year's success, even though it wouldn't detract from this year's success in any significant way, meaning that I would still consider the season a very big success no matter what happens on the field on Sunday. Now, should we play a very, very close game, it would be even better. And should we manage to somehow pull off an upset win, it would be spectacular. But no matter what the outcome of Sunday's game, Dayball has been tremendous. General Manager Joe Shane has been tremendous. And this team is nothing, nothing like the dumpster fire of the Gettleman years past. So let's go Giants and let's move on to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So I wanted to talk briefly about Rutgers here. The basketball team, after getting a shocking upset of Purdue last Monday, um, split a pair of games this week after that. The game immediately following it was thought to be a possible trap game somehow, which I didn't understand. It was Maryland. Now, Maryland wasn't playing well, but Maryland, while not exactly the kryptonite for Rutgers, has been a very, very tough team for Rutgers to beat over the last five years. We've had all kinds of trouble. Uh, one of the worst games I've ever seen was one I actually went to in the rack maybe three or four years ago where Maryland just blew the doors off of, of Rutgers and one of the worst home defeats I've ever seen. Um, and we've historically had trouble beating this Maryland team. And Maryland was ranked earlier in the season number 13. Now, recently they've had some of their troubles, but the fact that the perception going into the game was that this was a quote-unquote letdown game for Rutgers, to me was, you know, a game that was more than a letdown possibility, but one where Rutgers could just lose to a team that they simply lost to a lot, you know, and continue to lose to. I would say this, by the way, before describing the game for a minute. Other than, I would say, Michigan. Maryland is the team that we absolutely had the most trouble with. Michigan is is the bane of our existence. They are our kryptonite in basketball. We can't seem to beat them uh, for whatever reason. We'll see if we can this year. Um, But Maryland has been a tough team for us. With that said, uh, Rutgers played a elite defensive game against Maryland and kind of a blah to less than great offensive game against Maryland and came away with the victory. Um, They forced 20 Maryland turnovers, Rutgers defense did, which is just incredibly good. Played okay enough on offense. Mulcahy was great. A couple other people did well, but in general, the offense looked disjointed, um, missed some easier shots, and didn't play very well. Luckily, their defense was elite, played tremendously, and um, again, Wolf Mulcahy just leading the team at the end. They fought off a Maryland charge and ended up winning fairly comfortably over a Maryland team that wasn't playing their best at the time. And so uh, they saw... they did not have a quote-unquote letdown against uh, the Maryland team after beating, you know, shocking number one Purdue, you know, on Monday. So that was great to see. After that, however, um, they played Iowa this past Sunday. Um, And we lost to Iowa in a game where our defense was absolutely subpar. Um, And it was the first game this season where I can say with a straight face that our defense wasn't good enough. We have been ranked anywhere between number one and number five in the country overall in in comparative defense, meaning that Rutgers defense might be the best defense in all of college basketball. That's how good it has been this year in 2022, 2023 in this season. So it is just spectacular in general 
it was not spectacular on Sunday against Iowa. I was saying it during the game, before the announcers mentioned it, and right from the opening tip that we, I don't know whether it was laziness, but we certainly weren't adjusting enough to what they were doing. We continue to double down on balls that are thrown in low, uh, which is part of our strength. But then what Maryland was doing a lot was kicking the ball back out to the person who was left open from the double team. And we were not rotating quickly enough. We did not adjust at all on defense, meaning, okay, let's not double down or let's play a 1-3-1 zone or let's do something to counter what they were doing, which is simply trying to dump it inside then quickly dump it back outside and rotate around the perimeter. And they were getting open shot after open shot after open shot. And I couldn't believe that we didn't adjust almost all game to it. That said, um, Iowa looked pretty great most of the game. They did have and make many open shots, which certainly helped. And that was because of, I think, what is maybe a lack of Rutgers defense, but also moving the ball quickly. Still, if I had to rate the two, it was because of Rutgers defense. There should not have been that many open shots. But to their credit, they hit them. In addition to those, however... Iowa made some really, really good shots where good defense was played and great passes and in the paint and pump fakes and just some generally very good basketball in addition to making easy open shots, you know, which on the other end, Rutgers did not do. Speaking of our offense against Iowa, Paul Mulcahy was absolutely atrocious, just Awful. Maybe one of the worst games I've ever seen him have. He was terrible. And the and the, the ironic thing was he was just now getting praised up and down all over the media, in, in, in the articles online and in the papers and on the Big Ten Network and the announcers. That's all you were hearing was how Paul Mulcahy is now, you know, leading the offense and should be taking more shots. And he had two or three good offensive games. Okay, he did, right? Um, he had a really good game against Purdue. He had a good game against Maryland. Now, all of a sudden, he's supposed to be some leading scorer for, for Rutgers. And I, I never understood the narrative. And it is something, I don't know. He, he had a terrible game. And he took a lot of shots, a couple open, a couple not as much. Many, many out-of-control shots as Moat Mag did and many of the other Rutgers team. The Rutgers had 7, 8, 9, 10 completely out-of-control shots on offense, which were just awful. Just really inadvisable shots. And Watt Mag had most of them. And Mulcahy had a few himself. And it's funny how the media is an echo chamber a lot. I don't think it's surprising. But it's something to talk about. In that if someone presents a new narrative about something. For in this case, Mulcahy is a very good offensive player. Somebody says that. It's a new narrative. It isn't something people have said before. Somebody presented that. All of a sudden, in this media chamber, media echo chamber, you know, someone hears that, and now it's all over the media. Everyone's take is now, okay, Paul Mulcahy is a great offensive player and really needs to shoot much more. And that's all you saw everywhere on the Big Ten. And this echo chamber of, you know, thoughts about Mulcahy without any real comprehensive analysis or folks actually looking at all the games this year, um, it really hurts because it, A, puts a lot of expectations on Mulcahy, and B, it's just not true. He had two really good games, and, and, and he played better. But, you know, he has never been, and I've seen him for four years now, a, a great offensive player. I mean, he's good. 
He's very good down in the pivot where he gets the ball and he turns around three times and makes really good shots. He's a decent offensive player. He can occasionally hit the open three, and he's a tremendous runner of the offense. He's a, he's a great point guard. He's a great assist person, and he plays pretty good defense for someone who's not awfully fast. So he has many, many good qualities. He is not the best scorer. He never has been, regardless of two very good offensive games. He didn't suddenly change his game around from four years and is now some offensive star. So it's funny to hear this narrative. I love Mulcahy, but it was a very bad time to have a terrible, terrible game, not only because it contributed to us losing to Iowa, but it also was the game where I think everyone was focused on Mulcahy's offense because of this media echo chamber, and he probably disappointed everyone and have people rethinking their opinions all of a sudden, or at least the one person who said it, and then the echo chamber will follow. But in any case, it, it hurt. Um, Watt Mag, I thought, had a terrible game, even though the announcer said he had a great game. He missed things. He turned the ball over. He blew a few rebounds. He missed free throws. I, I, I think he may not need to be a starter anymore. He's really not playing that well. He, he does play good defense, but that's about it. Um, and that's really, I think, all I have to say about uh, Rutgers. So they split a pair. Had they won on Sunday, they would have been ranked. I'm recording this before the rankings come out for this week, so it's unlikely Rutgers is going to be ranked this week. It's possible, but unlikely. They would have been ranked in the top 25 now had they beaten um, Iowa on Sunday. Rutgers next takes on Northwestern on the road on uh, this Wednesday, the 11th, and then we get Ohio State on home next uh, at home next Sunday, so that should be pretty interesting. Go Knights. That's really all I have to say for today, and I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. And if you can, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. And I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks and have a good day.